morning. <clears throat> Name's Matt Howe, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in week three of a series entitled The Artisan Soul. And two weeks ago, for those of you that were here, you know, Pastor Mark talked about how we're created in the image of God and kind of what that looks like for us and what that means for us. And then last week, we were to kind of take that a step further and talk about how not only are we created in the image of God, the Almighty, but we're also created for God, the Almighty, and how God has a distinct plan and purpose for each of our lives. And this morning, in week three, the title of our message is actually The Beauty of the Cross, which I'm pretty sure if you had said to someone in the first century or or prior to the first century, they would have looked at you a a little awkwardly. The Beauty of the Cross? Seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, maybe not now, but but I promise you it would have seemed odd to them 2,000 years ago to think about the cross as being a, a symbol of beauty. I mean, there was nothing more horrible than the cross. The cross was a, a symbol of Roman crucifixion. How could something like that be a part of God's plan for one's life? But it is. The beauty of the cross is all around you this morning. Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you, look up here on the stage. And you'll see firsthand the beauty of the cross. And by a show of hands, how many of you just love art? You're art lovers. Do we have any art collectors? Anyone here an art collector? Yeah, I mean, I'm not just talking about your kids' art, right? But like an actual art collector, how many of you enjoy going to art museums, art exhibits, art shows, that type of thing? So the thing about art, right, is that it's kind of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So you and I could look at the same painting or the same sculpture, and one of us could see something very ordinary, very mundane, maybe even somewhat ugly. And the other of us might see something beautiful have examples of this this morning. So this first one, this is called American Gothic, right? Now, this is a famous piece of American art, right? I look at it, and it reminds me of a couple that went to the first church I served at. <laughs> I'm not going to name them because my messages go on Facebook. And then this next one, this is a Van Gogh, right? Starry Night. Looks a lot like something I did in the first or second grade. But I'd like to have an original, right? Wouldn't you like to have the original? And then this third one, probably the most famous piece of art, first one that would come to your mind if I said name a piece of art, right? The Mona Lisa. An artwork of beauty, right? Not sure I would have invited her to high school prom, but I might have, right? So it's just interesting, right? Art is, art is interesting because, uh, well, you know, last Wednesday we had uh, the opportunity, Laura Courier, is Laura here? This, yeah, you're back here, raise your hand. So Laura and Charla Lee, who is also sitting over here, Laura and Charla are partners uh, in a business called The Colorful Cupboard. How many of you have been to The Colorful Cupboard? Yeah. All right, yeah, little props there. If you haven't been, you should. Um, 
And they, Laura, came out uh, a couple weeks ago and did a project with our students, uh, student ministry, and had them all painting. And a couple of the kids were commenting. They were like, I'm not good at this. Mine's so ugly, blah, blah, blah. And Laura just kept reminding them very chipperly, you know, art, it's beautiful. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what, it's your creation, right? And so each one is unique, and that's what makes it beautiful. But art can. It can be both ugly and beautiful, depending upon the perspective from which it is seen. Now, what's interesting is this is also the paradox of the cross. I mean, we could just as easily consider the ugliness of the cross as we could the beauty of it. One is as real as the other. A little history about Roman crucifixion. Roman crucifixion was a method of capital punishment in which the victim was tied, or in the case of Jesus, nailed to a large wooden beam, sometimes two wooden beams, hence a cross, and left to hang for several hours, maybe even days, until eventual death would occur from exhaustion and asphyxiation. Crucifixion was most often performed in order to dissuade its witnesses from committing similar crimes. Victims were sometimes, for that reason, left on display even after death as a warning to any other potential criminals. Crucifixion was usually intended to provide a death that was particularly slow, painful, gruesome, humiliating and public, using whatever means were most expedient for that goal. Interestingly enough, the crucifixion of Jesus is the central narrative of Christianity. The cross, sometimes depicting Jesus nailed on it, very early on became the main religious symbol for most Christians. In fact, it was, it was something that the first century Christians really had to wrestle with. Like, can we make this cross kind of the way people know who we Because, you know, again, they were still performing crucifixions at that time. What do we do with this cross? How could something so barbaric all of a sudden be a sign and symbol of something so beautiful? Have you ever thought about the fact that Christianity is the only major religion to have its central focus the suffering and degradation of its God? Think about that. Paul acknowledges as much in this message of the cross and Christ crucified in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, For the message of the cross is both foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God, right? Paul acknowledges that this cross, it's going to be a stumbling block to the Jews. It's going it's to be perceived as folly to the Gentiles. It's not an inherently attractive message, or at least it's not until spiritual eyes or spiritual sight is granted. The world looks at something like the cross and it sees weakness, it sees irrationality, it sees hate, it sees disgust, right? But Christians, 
Christians look at the cross and, and we see strength, not weakness. We see hope. We see love, not hate. We see beauty, not disgust. And great art of any form can do this. Great art can remind us that in the midst of tragedy, there is always to be found some beauty. Jesus' life was a masterpiece of light and vivid color, which contrasted the, the harsh background of hate, betrayal, and suffering in the world. Through his sacrifice, Jesus turned the cross, a barbaric instrument of death, into a symbol of beauty. And the beauty of the cross is that in that very same way, it can turn one's life around. It can turn one from a life of, of destruction and despair and a destination of death to a life of forgiveness and hope and love and a destination of life, abundant life and eternal life. This cross of Christ, this cross that we, that we wear around our necks, that we, that we put on the backs of our cars, that we wear on bracelets like this one I have on this morning, this cross is essential. I mean, think about it. A Bible without a cross is a Bible without a climax. A Bible without a cross is a Bible without an ending. A Bible without a cross is a Bible without a solution. The spiral of sin that began in Genesis, uh, in Genesis 3 had to be stopped. And the death of Jesus on the cross terminates the downward spiral. It stops it. In Jesus' body, he took on the sin of the world. He paid the price of all humanity. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message transliteration. He says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. I like plain and simple. It served me well in my life. <laughs> Listen to what he says. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. And then, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified on a cross. Church, we would do ourselves a lot of good to keep it simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and second, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified on a cross. The cross of Christ is that which matters most to our faith. Now, if we flipped back a few pages in Scripture, and if we turned the tables about 700 years prior to the birth of Christ in history, we would read these words of the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 53, he says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isn't it fascinating that those words were penned nearly 700 years before even the birth of Jesus Christ? And you see, the Jews, they took those words as as representing the nation of Israel. But I believe Isaiah knew better. And we Christians are now able to read those words and see where Isaiah here, the prophet, was talking of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would save people from sin and death. Before Jesus, deliverers were believed to be dominating, forceful people who who would convince others to follow them and their ways. And those who wouldn't get on board, those who who wouldn't follow their ways, they were crushed beneath their power. But you see, this deliverer that Isaiah talks about, this one, he, he was different. Jesus was different. Jesus suffered for the sins of all people. Jesus showed beauty in humility. Jesus showed beauty in self sacrifice. Jesus showed beauty in obedience. Again, these words of Isaiah were written nearly 700 years before Jesus' birth. Such a prophecy was astounding. Who would believe that God would choose to save the world through a suffering servant rather than a glorious king? The idea, it runs contrary to everything about us. It runs contrary to human pride. It runs contrary to worldly thinking. But you see, God often works in ways we do not expect. There was nothing beautiful or majestic in the physical appearance of this servant. Israel would miscalculate the servant's importance. Many people today still miscalculate the importance of Jesus' life and death. Have you? At the cross, the whole world has the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father. The peace that the world has been seeking, the the unity of all people is found in and through Jesus Christ, through his blood. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, Paul writes, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You see, reconciliation for the world, peace Shalom and unity, it comes only by the blood of the cross, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus is that that perfect mediator between us and God. Jesus is the one who, who bridges the gap that sin created. He's the one that brings it back together. And so now the the ball is in our court. The brush is in your hand. The opportunity is yours. The opportunity is mine. The opportunity is ours. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, in fact, find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and yet forfeits his soul? So maybe you're here this morning, just like any other Sunday morning. You rolled out of bed, you got yourself ready, you got your family ready, your kids. Maybe it was stressful, maybe it wasn't. You loaded up in the car and you came to church. And you're kind of going through the motions of life. Maybe some of you feel like life's just spinning out of control. Well, maybe today is the day when it's your time to take up your cross. Maybe today is the day that you decide to stop running. Maybe it's about time that you place the fullness of your faith and your trust in Jesus. The Bible is very clear about the fact that if we will confess Jesus as our Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be, not we might be, not we can be, not we should be, but we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from death. I mentioned earlier, if you want to see the true beauty of the cross, all you need to do is look right up here on this stage. I'm standing here. If you want to see the beauty of the cross, all you need to do is look at the people who are sitting next to you in front of you, behind you. You represent the true beauty of the cross. You see, because without the cross of Christ, my life, your life, would look very different. But praise God for the cross. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the cross of Christ. God, we thank you for how it changes everything. God, it changes us. God, how could something that was so horrific, so terrible, so gruesome, so barbaric, become such a symbol of of hope and of love and of grace and mercy and beauty. You did it, God. It was a part of your plan. God, my, my prayer this morning is that you would restore every man and woman, every boy and girl here this morning to yourself. 
God, there may be some who are, are sitting in chairs this morning who feel like there is an incredible distance between where they're at, the reality of, of day in and day out life, and where you are. God, may they feel this morning as though you're just one outstretched arm away from them. May they see that Jesus is that perfect mediator. That Jesus hung on a cross for them. That Jesus' blood was shed in the most horrific way imaginable so that their sins could be forgiven. God, where there is repentance needed this morning, where there is a, a genuine turning away of, from sin, God, a genuine heart change, God, may you convict people. God, where there is a, a lack of trust, a lack of faith, God, may you increase it tenfold. May you impress upon people the business that they need to do with you this morning. God, may you bring salvation to the home of someone here this morning. May we confess you as Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead. And this morning, may you save us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus I pray.